You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, John Worth. I'm here to this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Hope you are doing well or some approximation thereof. Our guest this week is Chase Bartlett. Who is Chase Bartlett? Chase Bartlett is a senior at St. Edwards, a college in Texas. He reached out to me via Twitter and wanted to tell me about his story, which is essentially that in the wake of COVID, his school's athletic department abruptly has killed its tennis program. And they, he'll go tell you the, the details, but they're not pretty. And I think this is something that's unfortunately going to come up more often in the next few months, that tennis is a non-revenue sport. And with no Final Four, no March Madness, and with football this fall right now in some doubt, these are tough times for college athletic departments. We've talked a lot about tennis and the tours being suspended, but this trickles down to the college game as well. So today we talk with a college tennis player about some of the woes facing his program. And uh, again, I think this unfortunately is going to be uh, an issue that's going to become sort of increasingly resonant this fall. So uh, without further ado, here is Chase. Are you a senior or were you a senior? I mean, why don't you just sort of orient us uh, where you are and what you've been through, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so I I just graduated last week um, from St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas. It's a Division II school. Um, we finished this year ranked sixth in the country with six All-American awards and I think like a 3.9 overall team GPA. So it's probably the best team we've ever had in school history um, for a lot of reasons. And uh, unfortunately, the school's administration just cut cut our six of our teams, uh, men and women's tennis included, earlier this month, um, about three and a half weeks ago, actually. And... Since then, we've been trying to do all these uh, reinstatement plans, and, and we've been having calls, Zoom calls with, with the administration and trying to figure out, you know, how can we get these programs back and how can we find a place for these, these gotcha. athletes? So I'll just, I'm going to 
cut you off periodically just to, uh, to, to flesh this out. I mean, this is obviously Corona driven or this is separate. There's been some, you know, a lot of people are thinking that this is sort of just a cover up from Corona, <clears throat> but the school is, you know, very adamantly saying this is directly related to the coronavirus. You know, they, they were expanding programs, you know, two months before they cut our programs, they added an esports program and a track and field program. Um, and looked like there was plans to build a lacrosse program as well. So uh, it, it's sort of confusing. And so just to be, just to be clear, you're, you're, tell, tell me about your school. Yeah, so my school is in Austin, Texas. Um, like I said, it's a Division II university. It's got, I think before this, it had 16 programs, um, if you're not including track and esports, which they just added. So now they're down to almost the bare minimum to compete in Division Two, I think, and in their conference requirements. So um, it's a it's a pretty good school. It's right across the street from UT. It's in downtown Austin. It's a nice place. Um, a lot of lime scooters, I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so your it's your senior year, and things things are uh, you know last semester of college, and then all of a sudden things go sideways in a hurry. Before we get to the finances, I mean, just on an emotional level, what's this been like for you? I, I couldn't imagine anything worse. It was almost like losing a relative, and that sounds ridiculous to say, but it was, you know, these are dreams that we've been working on, you know, my teammates and I since, you know, before fourth grade, you know, when we had our 10th birthday party, that was around the time that, you know, college athletes really start playing, and, and we've been playing our whole lives. And, and we had a shot, actually, this year at winning a national championship, and that's what made it. I think so disappointing for us, especially is when I got here four years ago and I was a freshman, we were unranked. We lost to some pretty bad teams. And, and now for the first time in school history, we've got a team that can win a national championship. And, and then coronavirus comes in and, and all of a sudden, you know, we didn't even know what was going to be our last practice, our last match. And, and then three weeks later, they, they cut our program. So it's pretty devastating for a lot of us. You're a senior. You said you you graduated. Congrats. Um, you still have a year of eligibility, I assume, if you want it. Yeah. So all the spring sports got one extra year of eligibility, um, which means that you know I could transfer and play another year, which I'm planning on doing. Uh, I want to get an MBA and maybe play for a Division One school. Um, a lot of my teammates aren't so fortunate, though. Even though you know they can transfer, say some of the, some of the freshmen, for example. We had two freshmen that were all Americans, um, and I've known them for a really long time, actually. And and one of them is quitting tennis because he he can't think of going anywhere else. And the other one is going somewhere with no scholarship because pretty much the teams have been all booked up um, because of the the timing of all this. So, I mean, the the transfer portal in in all sports right now is uh is, is a meat grinder. It's just just clogged in everything from you know basketball to wrestling you hear this again and again um i mean i i think college tennis is i think we're going to hear more stories about this a little bit different division one schools where the tv revenue from the ncaa tournament and the revenue from fall football if that doesn't come in that's going to affect the whole athletic department it sounds like that's a little bit different than the situation at st edward it's not like you had a a huge football team that was spitting out millions of dollars in, in revenue for the whole athletic department. Absolutely. We don't even have a football team. Um, and, and our, you know, the sports that got cut, you know, I mentioned this to you earlier, but they're actually the revenue sports. Um, you know, 
of the six sports that were cut, men's soccer was bringing in around $150,000 in revenue per year. Um, cheer was a, was a great revenue sport that was cut. You know, they were bringing in around the same as soccer and men's tennis was costing a measly $52. How can you explain cutting? $52 was your expenses. Yeah. So, you know, send, send me the bill. I got you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how did, so, so how did, how did you generate revenue and what were the expenses? So um, about three weeks ago, we received a leaked document um, from a consulting report that was done in 2018 of the athletic department. And the way that they did it was they did what's called a contribution margin analysis. And so basically you factor in, you know, all the, the expenses, right? Um, you know, you factor in scholarships, you factor in coaches budget, you factor in overall budget, um, and then you factor in, you know, okay, so say I have four scholarships, right? And I have an, a 12-man team. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're actually, you know, you might be bringing in money because of the people who aren't on scholarship. So it's not like football where there's a ton of scholarships or something like that. You know, our, our program wasn't even fully funded, so. Right. So the, the revenue's coming in. They're counting the full tuition of the players not on scholarship. Is that right? Yeah, more or less, yeah. And that's... I think that's an overall contribution margin. I don't know if it uh, directly equates to profit um, because that's a little bit more tricky to, to analyze. And we, the school has been so, so um, closed off about all the numbers in this. And you know, they're a private school and they're allowed to be, but we, you know, we've asked them, you know, what was the change in budget that even determined these costs? And they won't tell us that. They won't tell us how much they were gonna save by cutting these sports, um, all this stuff, so. Right. And we, we've heard this in other industries, too, where this coronavirus is horrible, but it can also be used as a pretext. You know, it can also be used as a guise to make changes you wanted to make anyway. What, um, let me ask you, sometimes in these cases, you know, I've, I've seen this with wrestling programs. I mean, sometimes the school will give the athletes a chance to revive the program if they can fundraise privately. Did that, uh, did that option come your way? So it did. Um, after you know several Zoom meetings with the administration, we finally convinced them to to start uh, creating a reinstatement plan. And their reinstatement plan asked us to fundraise two million dollars in the first thirty days, which would cover for the first five years of men and women's tennis uh, operating expenses. And then um, after the first thirty days, we would need to raise sixteen point two million dollars over the next five years to create an endowment for the program which totals $18.2 million in five years. So in, in 30 days during a global pandemic for your you know, division two tennis program supposed to go out and get $18 million, give or take. Yeah. And keep in mind, again, this costing, you know, it's costing $52. So we, we actually raised $600,000 from our alumni and, you know, we had an incredible amount of support from everyone around us. We had a petition that was signed 20,000 times. And keep in mind, this is just some small Division II school that nobody knows about, really, you know. It's just us in our conference. And still, somehow, you know, we fundraised you know, about two and a half years' worth of men and women's tennis, and they didn't even budge. You know, they weren't even, they weren't even looking for any kind of compromise or contingency. If this were uh, if this were conventional journalism and, and not a podcast, we'd obviously want the school to respond and, and ask them some of these questions. But what um, I mean, your your perspective, obviously. But what what have you been told? I mean, when you go to the school and you say, "Look, we actually ran a, we, we had a fifty two dollar 
deficit. Now you're asking us to fundraise $18 million. How do you justify that? What, what are some of the things you're being told? Well, they tried to explain that, it, you know, and this is the analogy that the athletic director gave me. She said, um, basically, it's like a convenience stand, right? So you, you, you can sell these products, but you have to have money to buy the products to sell them to begin with. And that's where the issue is. Uh, it's not the product, it's the money, basically the budget that they can afford these athletic programs. And so to us, that still doesn't make sense because, you know, like we mentioned earlier, these programs weren't costing that much. You know, we've already raised the athletic department at our school makes around $500,000 each year per the report from two years ago. We've already raised more than the athletic department made in total, right? Just, so you're, just you're, you're 600,000. Yeah. And so golf, golf raised about the same, about 600,000. And I, I don't know what soccer cheer raised, but that's 1.2 million right there. How can you not at least strike a deal and, and try to figure out other creative ways? Because the other teams haven't suffered at all at St. Ed's. Um, the president and the vice president, they weren't even planning on taking a salary. They told us, you know, like it, it would have been a, a, a humble it was a humble gesture that they weren't taking salary cuts because other schools were, you know, their presidents were making big grandiose gestures by reducing the presidential salary to zero. Like, and, and we called them out on it. And so now I guess like last week they said that they were taking voluntary cuts and they didn't say how much, um, but. What, I mean, let's sort of talk about these, these concentric circles. I mean, for, first off, to what extent are you concerned about college tennis overall? In the beginning, I was extremely concerned about college tennis because you, I guess like a month ago, we started seeing these programs dropping pretty quickly. Um, so we saw, I think maybe six programs in one week get cut um, along with all of our programs. And so, you know, it was looking pretty grim at this point, actually starting to feel a little more confident. I'm starting to feel like maybe it was just our school because, you know, We've seen a lot of great examples across the country of schools that are, you know, finding creative ways to manage the problem, mm -hmm. which our school clearly did not do. And, you know, if there's any message to any athletic directors out here that are hearing this podcast, that's, you know, the Wake Forest athletic director has come out and said, you know, cutting these sports does not always lead to a, an increase in revenue, right? There's, there's not always that direct relation because a lot of these sports are partial scholarships. So, um, schools have done really, really creative things across the country. And I think it would be foolish, you know, for athletic programs to not mimic those ways and figure out ways of, you know, at the very least, just don't cut a program. Um, you can, you can look into reducing scholarships. You can look into reducing coaches salaries, but you can't, you can't just cut a program because that was 50, 55 years of legacy right there for a lot of our alumni. And you, clearly are, are impacted by this. But as you say, you, you're a senior, you graduated. What about your teammates who were freshmen and sophomores and committed to this program and now are suddenly being told essentially the factory is closing? Yeah, so they're forced with a, a pretty, to make a pretty desperate choice. Um, and that's between you know, their dreams that they've been working on their whole life and, and their home because you know, we all love St. Edwards University. And so, like I mentioned earlier, we had this one guy, he's a freshman, He's been playing tennis since, you know, I've been playing tennis with him actually at Austin Tennis Academy since he was probably 10. And he's a great player and he was All-American this year. And for him, it, that's it. Like he's 
throwing away the rackets, you know, I mean, giving up. So it's, it's really sad. Um, I, I just can't express how bad it is. You know, some people are transferring, others are just quitting. It's, how have you done this as a team dissolving when you can't even see each other? You, you guys sort of uh, having team meetings over Zoom? Yeah. So two days ago, um, we had our final team meeting with Coach. And that was when he announced that, you know, even though we raised $600,000, that we were just going to kind of move on. Because some of these guys, even if there's not a lot of opportunities to transfer, you know, it's really crucial that we give everybody enough time to find a place, you know, even if they're not on scholarship, you know, still to find a team and play. So that's sort of why we called it two days ago. How's your coach doing? He's all right. He's actually, <laughs> he's one of the most energetic and, and joyful people I've ever met in my life. And he's a real role model for me. And he's been a role model for us through all of this, you know, even though he's probably the one that suffers the most. Um, He's the guy that's, you know, I'm, I, I, I know for certain that he's going to find this great place uh, somewhere else that's better for, suited for him. Um, so I think he's doing all right. You know, he's, he's been the one that's encouraged all of us to just keep on keeping on. So what have you learned from this? Well, first of all, you should never cut your teams unless you absolutely have to. Um, I've learned a lot in terms of what it means to be a leader um, because not a lot of students have been given the opportunity I have to speak with, directly with the administration, you know, maybe dozens of times. And, and I've also learned, um, you know, in terms of business, it's so important to be transparent. None of, none of this was made in transparency. You know, at one point, the administration came to us and they said, you know, actually, before we cut these programs, we, we went to the alumni to see if fundraising was even possible. And when they told us that, I was on a Zoom call with 12 other alumni. And each of the alumni was like, I didn't get a message, you know. And, and so, in reality, they only went to one guy who was pretty wealthy and his wife was on the board of trustees. And they asked him, hey, can you, can you spare a few million dollars to fundraise <laughs> this program? million dollars? Yeah. And so, that was their you know, they've been lying the entire time. And, and you know, it's just, it's created a, a culture of, I, I think, hate towards the university from its students, from its student athletes. And so, you know, at the very least, if you're going to make tough decisions, make them empathetically, um, make them transparently, communicate well, um, and then do everything in your path that you can before you make this decision. So, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How have you managed to sort of cordon off the unpleasantness of this experience from your 
four years that you seem to have enjoyed? I mean, how have you been able to sort of detach this disappointing last few weeks from a, a college experience that you seem to have otherwise really enjoyed? That's a great question. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of us have been struggling with is because we love St. Ed so much. And then, you know, at this point to be six in the country and, and your school doesn't even want you back really, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. And the way that I've been handling that is just, you know, seeing the administration separate from the faculty, from the students, from everyone who made my experience at St. Ed's what it is. Um, you know, the administration had no impact on my time at St. Ed's other than killing the team, basically. I, I think the faculty were where I learned the most, um, where I made the best connections, you know, and the memories that I made with my teammates are going to stay with me for the rest of my life. So there's no reason to think poorly about that now just because of a couple people not willing to, to work with us. I noticed too that like a lot of teams, your roster is very international. And I, th I think half, half the players, right. uh, I think six of you come from Texas and six of you come from outside the U.S. How, yeah. are, uh, how are some of your teammates who are crossing oceans here dealing with this? Um, some of them are looking for new places. Some of them are just giving up, like I said, on tennis. Um, and, you know, that was one of the reasons why it's always a terrible idea to cut sports you know especially like tennis because tennis is such an international sport it brings so much diversity to campus this is one of the talking points that we had is like did you even consider that you know in the past four years i've had teammates from greece serbia germany croatia poland uh honduras spain you know england the list goes on probably like 10 more countries <clears throat> and you know, we're a, <clears throat> we're a small division two school in the middle of Texas and all of our students are from Texas, you know, like it just doesn't make sense to be cutting off, you know, my, my roommate, for example, he lives in Australia and he's fourth generation, I think, um, St. Ed's tennis player from really? small town. Yeah. Man. So you got St. Ed's in Austin, Texas, super small university. And then you've got my roommate, Zach, who lives in Mildura, Australia, which is like six hours from Melbourne and in the outback, you know, and they've got this little tennis academy there. And, you know, I think there's four or five guys from that tennis academy that have come over 20 years, you know, and so there's this great alumni connection and, and resources for guys like him and for guys like us. And, you know, it just shows that how athletics keeps you know, a place that might be a, sort of obscure for most Americans, and, it, and it's got this global base. So it's pretty cool and, and actually really, really sad to see it go, though. Did, did you travel? I mean, did you guys have a, a budget where you guys were doing a spring trip? or Our spring, our spring trip was to San Antonio this year. Um, it, we actually got – we didn't get to do it. It was canceled right before we went, but, you know – I think at, at one point we went to like Durant, Oklahoma for a spring break trip. And, you know, so we weren't, wow. <laughs> we weren't exactly this, you know, <laughs> crazy traveling team to, to Indy Wilder, Durant, you know. Oklahoma though. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> Nothing wrong with Durant, Oklahoma. No, but, but I think, you know, I mean, sometimes one of the complaints you hear is, you know, the, the football team brings in all this revenue and the golf team gets to go to New Zealand for a spring trip. And it, it sounds like uh, th this is not, profligate spending by uh, your coach here yeah our, our coach um was within budget every single year he in fact the budget was so low and this is a problem with the athletic department is that they had over several years they had been keeping the budget so low that every year the teams went over budget and actually had to fundraise in the beginning of the year 
just to compensate for those costs. And it's not like, it's not a very viable way of doing fundraising because then you have coaches who aren't motivated, you know, they're, they're not fundraising for new shoes. They're fundraising for covering expenses that the school should already cover. I mean, our budget was $32,000 this year. That's not killing anybody. really. Your, your budget's $32,000. You, you came in $52 under budget and they're asking you to raise $18 million to keep this thing going. Uh, you're a businessman. That's uh, some interesting math. Um, yeah. Have you been, is there any sort of outreach? Have you been in touch with other tennis players? I mean, I think I mentioned, I, I think Akron, and I, I suspect, sadly, this list is going to grow, especially if these fall football revenues don't come. Are there contact that you've had with other college tennis players going through this? Um, there was one girl who reached out for me. I forgot the name of her program, but her program got cut and she saw a couple of my videos and my articles and, and wanted to do something there. But at that point, you know, we, we had already kind of given up. And so we reached out to a lot of people, um, trying to find a lot of creative solutions. You know, we were trying to maybe last minute arrange a fundraising event with, you know, one or two professional players and one or two sands players and maybe make a, a, some sort of charity event. That was a good idea. It just we didn't have enough time. Right. There's, I mean, you have two weeks to fundraise a million dollars, basically, and it's not possible. I mean, during we should add, you know, during a, a time when unemployment is exactly twenty five percent, and the market's gone down twenty. Um, so, last question: If Sports Illustrated declared St. Edwards the uh, D two national champions, would you would you take issue with that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. Um, I, I think, you know, I wish we could have done that. And they, they took that opportunity away from us. You know, this year, coronavirus canceled our opportunity of a national championship. And it's their fault, actually, for taking away next year's opportunity for a national championship because we had the same exact team. And we were we were going to get really close. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Oh, I, saw, I saw, I think you had five, five or six all Americans and uh, you know, yeah. web, website didn't lie. Um, well, I, I mean, it, it, it sounds like you are uh, you're pl placed in, we, we use this word unprecedented, but this, this is not a situation I suspect you would have uh, thought you'd be in when second semester senior year began, but it, it sounds like if, I'm going to sound like your parents here. I mean, it sounds like if nothing else, you're learning some lessons, but I also, yeah. it sure seems like you're, uh, you're, you're handling this with a lot of grace. So. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope it's, you know, help some of the other people at the very least it's, you know, our efforts gave a lot of people hope. Um, it brought a lot of people together. So that was great to see. And it has been a big lesson for all of us. I think that, you know, sometimes life just isn't fair, but you know, you got to enjoy the moments when they come and, it, it was, you know, heartbreaking to lose the possibility of more moments, but, um, you know, I enjoyed every single minute I spent with my team. So that's good attitude. And if we, uh, if we follow you on, so we're going to, we're going to find you playing for that fifth year in the spring, you think somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere. Hopefully. Looks like you're staying in shape. Looks like you haven't, uh, you're, you haven't ballooned to 260 pounds playing Twitch. I mean, it looks like you, uh, you're staying yeah, in yeah. Um, I've been trying to stay in shape. It's hard to keep motivation for sure, but um, my girlfriend plays soccer at St. Ed's too, and we go on some runs and play some soccer, so that's keeping me fit. There you go. You can play tennis now, though. Yeah, I guess I, um, my roommate, he's living about 20 minutes away, so we play tennis every now and then, but 
right now it's just you know trying to figure out where schools are i, I never thought i'd go through the recruiting process again yeah, exactly for yeah. my life especially you know as a graduated player so we're just trying to figure out you know how things are it's definitely unprecedented like you said so Right. No, I think a lot of players, they, they did not think with a degree in hand, they would be doing orientations and having Zoom calls with assistant coaches trying to find rosters. But um, well, I, I appreciate this. I mean, again, I think sadly, we're going to see this more and more and not just in uh, not just in tennis, but I think a lot of non-revenue sports are in for a bit of a reckoning here, especially if there's no football. But um, yeah. You know, again, it's 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 one sided, and, and we we admit that. But it it does seem like uh, this this has not been particularly well handled by the adults. So uh, I hope hope there's a happy ending here for, for for you and your teammates. Thank you. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you taking the time to cover this. So, all right, stay in touch. Good luck to you. Thank you. Take care. All right. all right. Thanks for Chase for his time and for telling us a bit about his story. We hope that works out as well as possible. Uh, thanks as always to Jamie, our trusty producer. Uh, Jamie, I want to ask you as a former college athlete yourself in what I assume is a non-revenue sport, what struck you about that conversation? Yeah, that's a, it's a good assumption. It was really interesting to hear. I mean, first it's great that he's so passionate about it and, you know, kudos to him for, you know, reaching out to you, getting on this podcast and, and, you know, getting a space to, talk even more about the impacts of the cuts on the student athletes and what they're doing. But I, you know, I went to a really small division one school, but I can kind of relate to him with, you know, programs who are, you know, not costing much or, you know, also not making much and being in, at a school, a very small school with no football team and how that affects um, the, the players in different programs. So, I, you know, I feel with him, especially as a senior, you know, to have, you, know, you talked about it, whether it's an international athlete who's coming overseas to play and now they're left, like, what do they do? Because my school as well also had a lot of international athletes and I had so many friends in that position. So there's so many um, parts of the situation that he was saying that I couldn't really relate to. So, um, you know, my heart goes out to the uh, St. Edwards Hilltoppers which, um, you know, coming from a mascot that was the Peacocks, it might actually <laughs> top um, St. Peter's where I went because the Hilltoppers is a great, great name. Um, it's Western Kentucky, I think, is the Hilltoppers as well. But I, I want to know, how aware were you of where the revenues were generated? I mean, if, if you're playing in a non-revenue sport, to what extent are, are you aware of how precarious the situation is. I mean, when you when you were in school, what was funding the athletic department? Honestly, I, again, was very impressed with all the research and how much he knew and reached out because I think I realized and knew which sports, you know, made the most money and which sports actually had donations or just a lot of money that was from alumni and things like that. But I can't say that I was, really in touch with how the school was making money and how we were you know able to compete as a division one program um, i know the fact that my school used to have a football program and it didn't um when when i was there so um i wasn't very aware how that was working and i kind of feel a little ashamed for that i feel like that's definitely something i should have known especially know given chase and and all he's doing um it's really a good role model for 
a student athlete just to be aware. It's easy for a, a big time division one football player to see all the bells and whistles in a, you know, in a stadium or in a facility and kind of understand where those, that money is coming from. But for a smaller school, when you don't have all those pretty shiny new things, you're almost not, you're not aware that the money is coming in as much as that. So um, it kind of gave me a little eye opener there as well. I wish I was a little bit more in tune with how my school was making spending money. Yeah. And you know, you see, you hate to be the ogre and you hate to uh, sort of wag your finger but I, I do wonder, um, you know, some of these non-revenue sport athletes, you say, boy, we have, uh, it's a pretty good life we have, and we've got these snazzy warm-ups, and we're going on all these trips, and we've got a, a spring break trip overseas, and wait, we don't charge money, we don't sell tickets, what exactly is, is funding this operation? Um, and right. I, I think sort of there's, there's going to be a cold reality here. Um, his school is private, so I'm not sure it's quite relevant, but I also think this is where all of these foreign athletes that play on, on the, the team can sometimes hurt tennis. And I think it's, I think as he mentioned, I think it's very healthy to have an international recruiting base. I think by all means, you know, it's, it's a great way to diversify not just your team, not just your, your athletic department, but the whole student body. But some of these programs where 10 of the 12 players come from overseas and the coaches are really candidly abusing a system. A lot of them are way older than the conventional kids of their year. Um, when the athletic department has to make some tough choices and you have to cut a team, especially at a public university where it's, it's taxpayer dollars and 10 of the 12 kids on the tennis team don't come from the United States, much less the state that's the tax base. I think the decision to cut the program gets a lot easier. So, um, Anyway, I mean, unfortunately, I think this is something that all college athletic departments are going to have to reckon with this fall as the revenues are, have really, really dropped, and it's going to drop even more dramatically if, if there's no football. Um, let's change gears. It is May, whatever it is, 19th, 20th, and there is, uh, as of now, uh, the, the U.S. Open for 2020 is still a going concern, um, at least in theory. There was a, a meeting with the White House recently, where a number of uh, sort of a tennis finally got its audience that it, that it didn't have at the initial sports meeting. As I understand it, there was a range of opinions. Some tournament directors, uh, particularly from the West Coast, were very suspicious of having any tennis events before there was a vaccine. Other tennis officials were much more optimistic and much more willing to be creative. Uh, we talked about this a bit last week, Jamie, but any, any further thoughts on the prospect of a 2020 U.S. Open, which as of now is still at least being discussed? Yeah, I mean, the fact that Governor Cuomo came on, um, you know, this week and talked about the fact that New York State is ready and willing to work with major sports teams, um, you know, that are willing to play without fans, kind of is an interesting thread uh, for the U.S. Open. Um, of course, they have been, as we've talked about, exhausting all the different ways. And we talked with Dr. Brian Hainline, who also outlined exactly what would need to happen. But I'm still a little skeptical, just given the amount of, even if you don't have fans, the amount of people involved in organizing the event that would still need to be there. It's a huge risk, and I know that this is what all sports are facing, but it's it's an interesting development, especially given that things are starting to open more and more. Let me uh, let me ask you two questions. A, 
do you surmise, I mean, I, I think one of the big variables here, do the top players come? Right. And a guy, you know, a woman, a man ranked number 80 who hasn't had a pay, you know, who hasn't had any prize money since February, sure. If you're Roger Federer, Serena Williams, Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, th three of the four of them are parents and all four of them are married. In at least three cases, they're probably going to have to quarantine at some level. I wonder, I mean, on the one hand, you say, yeah, they, they played for the majors and this is a major. And when we, when we talk historically, we're going to still consider this a major. But I wonder if the four of them are buying in. And if they are not, is ESPN as enthusiastic about going through with this as they are right now? I'm, I'm curious whether the stars are going to do the risk-reward analysis and decide it's, it's worth it to play. Any, any, thoughts on, uh, any thoughts on that? That's been my concern from the beginning. You know, I said to you that the level of competition at the tournament, even if it were to be held, even if everything were to go as planned and everything went smoothly in terms of social distancing and quarantining and no fans and all of the setup, what is the competition like? Is Can we even call it a grand slam if those top players aren't there? I mean, it really will feel like a another tournament in the US during the summer. And you know, that's not to say that no tennis is better than that sort of tennis, but right. you make a great point about, you know, ESPN as a broadcast partner, they're going to have all this set up and all, you know, pay all this money in order to cover an event. And they're not gonna have the Serena Williams interview overlooking you know the uh the crowds right you know and that that classic u.s open right 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 and i don't know uh you know do as many people watch or does it feel like the ufc for example where i'm sure people who hadn't really bought a ufc pay-per-view coughed up the money and decided that hey i didn't have anything to do for the past six saturday nights and now there's some actual sporting event on tv so why not i'm home I, you know, pay for this and, and that's it. And, you know, the, the U.S. Open won't have uh, a pay-per-view price tag on it. So it's, it's really interesting. And I'm not sure um, whether or not this is an opportunity for tennis to kind of break out into the masses, so to speak. And if they do, if that is actually good for the sport, if we don't have the Rogers and the Rafas of the world playing during that tournament. Yeah, I mean, the flip side, you could say, listen, the, the average age of the four players we're talking about is about 36. So um, maybe it's a disguised blessing if this means more eyeballs on Naomi Osaka and Dominic Team and Tsitsipas, maybe this is actually a blessing in disguise. I mean, I think the other thing is the, I, I hate the word optics, which is fast becoming uh, <laughs> one of these hardened cliches, but I do think there is a huge PR component to this. And on the one hand, you could say, as the UFC has done, hey, we're back in business. Think about all the jobs and the commerce we're creating. This is symbolic. We're showing we're back at work. I also think this could be disastrous for tennis. And in Queens, which is really ground zero for this whole global COVID crisis, if somebody says, listen, two, two miles from here, we have refrigerated trucks carting out dead bodies and you guys are going ahead with a tennis tournament, I think this really needs to be positioned very cautiously and carefully. And 
we see, uh, you know, if, if it's, if this is going to take thousands of tests and there's a test shortage in Queens, if a player tests positive, if this is going to divert resources in any way, this could be absolutely disastrous for tennis that always needs to be cautious of being seen as elitist and out of touch. Um, if there are still people dying in hospitals and one neighborhood over, you've got athletes hitting tennis balls for millions of dollars so that ESPN has some programming. I think this could be catastrophic from a, a PR perspective. Um, there's, there's as much risk as there is reward here. And it's a, it's a really careful line that needs to be towed. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if we're there yet. It's uh, there's still so much to learn. And the fact of the matter is, is that eventually, you know, as you said, we're at the end of May here, turning the corner on June, the players and everyone are going to have to know very soon. I mean, if you work backwards from the U S open timeline in terms of quarantining and preparation and flights and all of the stuff that goes into it in terms of just getting the players there, they need to know sooner rather than later, whether they're going to make that commitment or not. Yeah, exactly. And I, Chris, Chris Clary was on tennis channel the other day, we were talking and he said something I thought was a great point, which is if nothing else, we're sort of seeing tennis uh, exposed and naked and information that was hard to come by is now readily available. And one of the things we're learning is, you know, A, just how dependent the U.S. Open is on media rights and ESPN in particular. I mean, again, the amount that ESPN paid for those rights probably uh, will not be replicated in the next deal. But as long as you have a valid contract, use it. We're learning just how dependent the USTA is on the U.S. Open, I mean, it's, it's got to be mm-hmm. not 90 plus percent of its revenues. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing how dependent the tennis infrastructure is on, on the USTA, at least in this country. So, um, you know, if, if nothing else, we are getting a glimpse of the realities of tennis. And again, it's, it's a little strange to me. Part of me really hopes this happens as a fan of the sport. The other half of me really shakes their head if you've spent time in Manhattan um, recently, the idea of holding a, a large-scale tennis tournament, even under these strange circumstances, um, a, a little baffling to think you could pull that off. I guess we will, uh, not unlike a sporting event, we'll, we'll see how this folds and we'll see what the result is. But again, as, as we speak in uh, the last week of May, Jamie, the 2020 U.S. Open uh, remains on the calendar. So go, go figure. I'm with you. Uh, I go back and forth every day trying to decide whether or not I'm for or against. So as you said, I guess we'll just have to wait and see and see what I plays am, out. Uh, we, are, we are for health and safety. We are for tennis thriving and making the right choices. We are for players making a living. And as long as those things are consistent, go ahead and play. But as long as there is inconsistency there, um, maybe uh, see you next year, folks. But anyway, let's uh, let's leave it there. Um, you got to run. I got to run. Um, as always, you were great. Pleasure talking. Um, thanks to Chase. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep your guest suggestions coming. Leave a review. Rate this. Also, check out SI's new podcast that Jamie and I are both part of, The Record, which uh, takes a deep dive into sports stories from the past. Great listen. Um, have a good week, everyone, and we will have another guest next week. We'll be right back.